Welcome to Good Morning, the podcast on a mission to open up the conversation around grief and loss with honesty and humour. Hosted by Sally and Imogen, we interview interesting guests to hear how losses shape their lives. Join us as we laugh, cry and drop the odd F-bomb. Welcome back to the Good Morning Podcast. Welcome, everybody. How are you, mate? <laughs> yeah, g'day, mate. G'day, mate. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm doing good. Yeah, I feel good. How are you, Sal? I know we've just had your mum's anniversary. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I've got to say, I definitely feel like a bit of a grief come down after the event. Yes, it's you know, a thing, isn't it? It is, like, it is a thing. The grief come down. It, yeah, it's like, well, that's a new thing that we're we're going to make a thing now. The grief come down. The grief come down. <laughs> the grief hangover. The grief come down. It's like in the lead up to it, I just felt really tired and flat, and I hadn't had that sort of physical ex- exhaustion for quite a while. You know, in the early days when you feel like you've been on a week long bender and you're just absolutely knackered. I felt like that again and I just felt just quite sort of like just just flat um but yeah it was definitely different vibes more different vibes different grief (laughs) vibes (laughs) (laughs) how are your grief vibes how are your grief vibes can we talk about you wait who messaged who the other day oh I I was like oh what are you up to or something you're like oh I'm just gonna grieve (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know. such a grievous whatsapp conversation isn't it you were like what are yeah. you up to and I was like oh, I think I'm gonna grieve today like, <laughs> have, fun have fun with that <laughs> it, so it was definitely a different like it wasn't like the constant sobbing and the, the feeling really emotional and, and and that full body kind of sob it was more like sort of silent tears and that feeling of tired and like that sadness, but it, it was showing up in a bit of a different way. And yeah, like the ache is, you know, the ache was very, very much still there, um, but it just wasn't as grief bomby. Um, how many grief uh, words can you fit into to an intro? What, what have we had so far? We'll grief try. vibes, <laughs> grief come down, grief bomb, and um, grief bender. Yeah, grief bender. I'm gonna I'm gonna add another Old one new in. Vocab happening here. Yeah. <laughs> My grief face was pretty strong, <laughs> and I was surprised at how physically it impacted me again. Mm. And the the kind of grief exhaustion, physically and emotionally. But yeah, very different navigating different uh griefy waters I would say this second year and what about you in what's been going on in your world I your got hair, hair looks nice I got my hair cut but that doesn't come without a bit of grief as well like bloody hell I went to the hairdresser for the first time in so long because of lockdown and mate I get so griefy at the hairdresser <laughs> I remember you saying before when they ask you the questions and you're always like just it just feels awkward because somehow your mum always pops up they always ask you questions about your mum well this time she didn't ask me any questions but I was sitting in the hairdressing chair and I had Layla with me because it was a last minute haircut I didn't plan it um and so Layla was sitting in the chair next to me and I just had this moment I'm gonna get sad bloody hell (laughs) this is not about 
that, but I just had this moment where I just, it took me back to my childhood when my mum, she loved the hairdresser. Vanessa, always at the hairdresser. Hair, didn't she? <laughs> she oh, I've just said, hair. I've just said the word. <laughs> the F word. <laughs> Guys, we've got this running joke that my like the word that I hate the most is the word funky, and I've I've just said it. <laughs> you just said it. You've literally turned into your own worst enemy. <laughs> oh so my god. Back to, back to Vanessa. <laughs> Did you, so you basically say my mum had terrible hair. No. <laughs> it was funky though. She'd like she'd like to buff it up. Um, but anyway, she loved to blow dry. She'd always beat the hairdresser. And I just remember as a kid sitting in there waiting for her to hurry up at the hairdresser. And I just had this moment where I was like in my mum's shoes and I had a child. And then I just, I was imagining my mum like walking through the door and coming into the hairdresser to check on us. And I just, I just felt really sad. Mm. Um, so yeah, the hairdressers make me griefy. But other than that, I've been okay. I've, I've been good. I feel really settled into my new place and yeah, I'm, I'm having a strong week, Good. which is nice. Enough about us rambling on. Cause we could just keep going on and on for the whole hour. Sal, who are we talking to today? So we are talking to Mary Huang, who is the founder and head psychologist of the Indigo project. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it, but it's an online psychology practice that thinks creatively about mental health. And she is making massive waves here in Australia. She's also got an excellent book called Darkness is Golden, and it's absolutely brilliant. It's basically an exploration into the painful parts of our lives. You know, the ones that we kind of tend to gloss over, like grief, (laughs) trauma, (laughs) uh, disappointment and hurt. So honestly, it is one of those books you know when you read something can you just like nodding along going yep, yes yep Her I book- feel like we had that with this conversation too you and I like yep yep <laughs> absolutely it was really interesting listening back to this episode actually um as we'd recorded it a little while ago hadn't we Sal and Mary actually echoed a lot of what Dr Edith Eager was talking about about PTSD not being a disorder but rather when we go through suffering in our lives, it can be a real time of growth. And I found that really fascinating. And I think that is that resonates with us so much, doesn't it? Definitely. And then another really strong message from this episode is how important it is to remember to get outside and play when you're grieving. Mm-hmm. And Mary talks about a two-factor model of grief which was really interesting. And I think you and I identify with either end of it. Um, And that is we either lean into distracting ourselves too much or we lean into our grief too much. Oh my God, it's me and you. (laughs) It's literally me and you. And it's all about trying to find that balance, which isn't easy. And you love a distraction, don't you, Sal? (laughs) I do. Queen of distractions over here. And you love immersing yourself in all things griefy, don't you, I love it. Oh my God. I was laughing in that bit as well in this conversation where Mary's talking about her partner telling her she can't buy any more books about death and she'd be reading by the pool reading about death I'm like that's literally me like any book I own it's just like a self-help book or grief book or book about death (laughs) I just don't (laughs) let myself get off the fucking hook and have some fun and then I got I'll go and watch tv shows about death and dying yeah (laughs) oh it's so funny though isn't it but you're just like I want to learn more. I want to know about this. Ants the same. Sometimes it's like 
no more grief and death, please. Like yeah. enough for one day. I'm like, no, but you know. But it is, it's so interesting. And I, I just resonated so much when she was like, it starts to become your identity. If mm. you lean into the grief too much, you've got to come back out of it. And I, I took so much away from this episode for that because I think I definitely can yeah lean into it too much sometimes so it was so helpful definitely um, and I, I think that's something that you and I have been really conscious of obviously being having this podcast having our Instagram channel to have days off from grief you know like to have days where we're not talking about grief and we are just Im and Sal doing life and having fun and normal things because Im and Sal doing life and having fun <laughs> should that <laughs> be a new a new tagline <laughs> Im and Sal just doing life and having fun oh no uh, but you know what I mean like having a break from your grief <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. I love it. You're so having, cute. <laughs> having, some, having some griefy fun. Yeah. Um, we're rambling on again. Let's jump to the episode because it was very insightful and just make sure you listen all the way through to the end. Um, there's another really interesting bit where we explore the psychology, the psychology around why we don't easily allow ourselves to feel joy again. And that was so interesting or why we, we may be afraid to, we had like a big aha moment. Didn't we Sal, around this? Definitely. Let's yeah. jump into it. Enjoy guys. So Mary, in your book, darkness is golden, which is brilliant by the way. Um, you have said that facing your death or the death of someone you love is quite possibly the darkest thing that you'll have to face in your life. And you follow that up by saying that within that darkness, sometimes it can lead you to clearly understanding your meaning, direction and purpose. Your father died just as you began writing the book and you have said that his death played a principal role in your personal transformation. So can you talk us through that turning point and what changes it led you to make? My life at the time that I wrote the book was like a speeding bullet train and it was heading in a direction that was driven by, I think, a lot of my subconscious ideals and beliefs of who I should be in this world, ideas of success, this over, overarching need to give and to be validated and that meant I didn't have a lot of boundaries. It meant that I was overworking, overextending, doing lots of late nights, weekends, finding it very, very difficult to say no. And I, you know, I'm a person with strong vision, but that vision didn't really encompass myself in it. It was for the good of others and for community and for impact and to it's it was for, for social good, which I think you get a lot of pats on the back when you're doing something good for others and, and you don't really realise how you can be so depleted in that process as well. So, you know, when I, I say that when you go through a grieving process, it's like if your whole life was contained in a house, it all of a sudden becomes a room. And of all the contents that are in that house, you have to decide what's going to go into this room instead because your life all of a sudden feels like it gets very small and it can't fit everything that it used to fit in there. You don't have the energy. You don't have the space. You're just like, oh, gosh. And the world is moving still around you very quickly and you're picking up things and you're deciding, does this have meaning to me? 
Is this important? Am I going to keep this? And it becomes a process of figuring out what your values and priorities are. And I think grief really starts to narrow your focus um, in ways that are very uncomfortable because it's obviously a very difficult experience with lots of different emotions that have no linear prescriptive path that you can draw a graph and say, this is when I'm gonna feel this in this way. And ultimately it is a process where you become either forced to look at your relationship with yourself, how you talk to yourself, how kind you are, how mean you are, how compassionate, not compassionate you are to yourself. And unfortunately, it can be a very strong mirror for your darkness. And so when my father passed away, I realized that I didn't have a lot of space to grieve. And um, there were so many structures that were still very much heavily relying on myself. Mm. And to take the time to try to nurse my grief and those feelings meant that I had to try to put myself as a priority, which was not a thing that I was doing very well at it's all. Not, it's not easy to do, is it? I know that's something that Sal and I have struggled with as well. Absolutely can relate to a lot of what you're saying. It's very difficult to do that. Well, it's almost impossible when you haven't really thought about it that hard before and you think you're doing your self-care and you think you're, you know, you're, you're a nice person to yourself and you think you're self-aware, but actually it, it, it's pretty rough, I think. And it's just not that easy to, um, you know, you see it on Instagram, take care of yourself, love yourself, be kind to yourself. And the process of actually doing that requires you to figure out why you haven't been and that can go pretty deep back into the roots of your childhood and really uncovering what you think about yourself. You're so right. And when we think about self-care, we were talking about this the other day, weren't we, Im? Yeah. We used to think that self-care was like a hot bath and a glass of wine. A face mask. <laughs> yeah, which of course it is in some regards, but also, you know, I think what we don't realize is it's self-preservation, isn't it? And it's thinking about those long-term things that are really going to help your mind, body, and spirit. But quite often we just think, oh, I'll just have a, you know, put a face mask on and I'll feel better. And it's just learning what actually we need in our soul. But that, that is a process in itself, isn't it? What do we need? You know, <laughs> how do we figure out what do we need and what is important mm. and what our values are? Because we can choose them from a list in a book or you know uh, some arbitrary list but I think it requires that we actually go deep into our past and into very specific circumstances in our lives that may have shifted what we think that we deserve in this world yes so it's a huge process I think of learning to, how to accompany yourself through all the ups and downs in life I guess that was the hardest part of the journey for me is, is just really acknowledging that and having to go back into places where, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't feel good about myself. 
and healing, really, really going in and healing that and, and shifting my values. We've both certainly been experiencing that as well. Like we've been doing some quite deep inner work and things have come up and it takes you back to times in your life that you perhaps haven't ever had a look at or you haven't had to address. And it can be a really transformational process, can't it? Like I certainly have gone back since my mum died and just worked through a lot of sort of traumas that I didn't even identify as traumas at the time or thought that they were were even a thing or thought that they were even being stored in my body, but they were. And it really, yeah, it can be really transformational. I remember seeing my therapist and, you know, he's like, this experience that you're going to go through this pathway is so much more than about your sadness because you've lost your father. This is going to be about all the grief in your life that has not been met yet. Wow. I was like, that's really intense. <laughs> <laughs> but you get it though. You totally get it. Totally. Because the feelings are so strong that if you do, if you've been, have any knowledge about somatic psychotherapy at all, it's often when you experience a difficult emotion that then you can travel through your body to those similar feelings in the past. So it's all going to come up because it's so intense. It's sort of like you peel back one layer and then you've kind of, there's another and another, and then you really go there. Well, my partner says, it's like you slay the head of the dragon and then three more pop up in its place. <laughs> I love that. Yes, that's great. It is more like a dragon than an onion, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, goodness. Uh, yeah. yeah. And when we experience trauma and grief or even disappointment in our lives, often I do think like we instinctively just want to brush it aside and not deal with it. So we might think that we'll deal with it another time, but often we don't. (laughs) Uh, So why is it so important to face those dark parts of ourselves and our lives like death and grief head on? And how can we do this without overwhelming ourselves as well? I think it's important to acknowledge that when we don't deal with grief and disappointment and pain in our lives and death, let's just take, for example, you know, uh, trying to sweep a relationship breakup under the carpet and just, um, you know, as we do, I don't know, Some people, we get a haircut, we go out, we meet someone else, we try to get over as soon as we can. We we don't want to be wallowing in it. You know, that's very human of us to say, "I, I don't want to be in this for too long. What we end up doing is that we end up taking some beliefs that were created because of these experiences. Say, for example, oh, someone broke up with me. I don't feel, maybe I'm not good enough. I'm not cute enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. And we bring them into the next relationship. And so we may have, you know, these leftover behaviors, thoughts and feelings that have not really been healed as a result of difficult circumstances. And this is what I like to term as this is our kind of like our baggage. This is like our little backpack or suitcase or dump truck. Briefcase, yeah. (laughs) Of stuff that we carry when we don't process or heal or face the things that are difficult. And, you know, I think it's important for people to realize that from a research perspective, when we actually do face the difficult moments in our lives, it gives us an opportunity to experience what we call post-traumatic growth. And, you know, in the scientific literature, people are always like post-traumatic stress disorder. It's like that gets the, the big attention, but really there's so much beauty in realizing that when we break down 
we can break down to build up stronger. And that means we change, we have the potential to change our outlook on life, our outlook on ourselves. Everything can shift when we break down the foundation of who we think we are, who we think we are in the world and how the world exists. And we can rebuild it in a way that actually really, really works for us instead of being that bullet train rushing through life and not really comprehending, you know, what's really important to us. I love that. And it does feel like a bullet train sometimes, doesn't it? You know, you feel like you've just got to get things done and you've just got to rush through and, and, and you actually don't stop to recognize what's going on for you. So you brought up a good point. It is overwhelming. No one said going through grief, experiencing the death of someone you deeply love is going to be a walk in the park. Mm. You know, my father passed away many years ago, three, four years ago, and I'm still at that tail end of still uncovering so many ways in my life in how it can shift. You know, as you guys know, I've made a huge announcement a few days ago saying that my physical office space was closing, you know, our home for five years, a home of like 12 rooms, lots of community events, and it had to shift into a model that was more sustainable. That was not an easy decision to make. It was in fact, super overwhelming. So you ask the question, how can we go through these processes without uh, losing ourselves in them? And I think what these processes also really strongly remind us to do is to reach out at times when we feel most alone and we feel disconnected and we feel lonely these are the these are evolutionary signals like hunger and thirst and they've been designed to help us to remember to connect with each mm -hmm. other and there's no way that we can go through these experiences alone it, it's just saying hey reach out talk to someone be vulnerable, share your experiences, let someone carry that burden with you, whether it's a professional, whether it's a friend, whether it's a you know, loved one. We ultimately need to take these opportunities as a reminder of how important it is to be human with each other. Otherwise, we're all rushing through life, pretending everything's okay, not facing death, not facing grief. Everyone's having so many issues with just not facing their stuff and yeah. distracted busy you know looking for things to satisfy themselves outside of something that's within themselves and we end up with a bit of a messed up world yeah it comes down to sort of like being comfortable being vulnerable as well doesn't mm -hmm. it which I think people have a really hard time being and you know, on the topic of overwhelm as well. I think when you're grieving and when big changes happen in your life, like for instance, what's happening with your business, like it's like that can surface a lot of grief again as well. So it is so important to, you know, like you said, reach out and be honest and vulnerable about how you're feeling and, and let people help. And it's often the grief, uh, you know, at the heart of it, the grief of not being seen in our lives in multiple, multiple ways, whether mm -hmm. that's through our parental relationships, all different relationships littered through our lives. We've really held so much hurt and pain from, from not being understood and, and being held. And I think that's often what comes up as a result of, of going through uh, the death of someone that we love. And Mary, 
on that point, talking about experiencing the death of someone that we love, you have been quoted as saying that we need to see death not as an inconvenience and something to be avoided, but as a sacred rite of passage to be embraced. Exploring death helps us see what is really important in life and what we have forsaken in our search for the validation and gratification of the outside world, which is so profound. So how can facing death help us cope with grief? When we face death, we face the reality of life. And within that are the cycles of life and death that are within everything. I think we see the true nature of life, that everything is impermanent, that life is scarce. And so research tells us when we realize that something is scarce, we value it more. Mm. You think about it. I think I wrote about getting to the end of, you know, the ice cream tub and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm an earlier then I'm really going to savor this. You know, when you have the two squares of toilet paper and there's no more toilet paper inside. It's just these ways in which, you know, oh, your friend's going away soon, someone that you love. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, let's hang out. Let's do stuff. I miss you. We need to see each other. It is an important thing for us to understand the psychological impact of understanding something is scarce. But then when we take our lives for granted and we think life is endless and people are always going to be around, do we truly value them? Do we truly value our relationships? Do we say how we really feel? Do we really express how we feel and our gratitude? I think we don't because I'll see them again. What do we do with our dreams? I think we procrastinate on them. I'll do it tomorrow or, you know, there's going to be another time. And I think we can let fear and doubt rule our lives when we don't take death into our consideration. So really facing death helps us to face the reality that grief is going to be a part of our lives. It, it doesn't necessarily make it easier. Like, you know, vulnerability doesn't necessarily get easier. It's, it's always going to be uncomfortable and grieving and death are always going to be uncomfortable. But it somehow kind of, I think it aligns you in life for you to recognize it when it's there the next mm-hmm. time. And you realize it's a process. And I think it can be one of those things that until it happens to you, it's for other people. You know, for us, certainly, we never even thought about grief and that it would hit hit us or touch our lives. Um, And then our mums died and, you know, wham, bam, it's it's right there. But you just don't think that it's going to happen to you, which is, you know, really bizarre when you think about the fact that it is going to touch us all probably multiple times. I was having this thought the other day and it's almost like, yeah, we used to be so naive and think that, yeah, like Sal said, it's never going to happen to us, never going to happen to someone we know. So we're just like living kind of blissfully unaware of that sort of grief existing in the world. And now it's happened to us. And I feel like we're living in a space where it's like deaths on every corner. Everyone we love is going to die. I'm going to die. It's like gone from one end of the spectrum to the other. It's quite, it's a lot. (laughs) It is. It's absolutely overwhelming because when we think about it though like death education is so important because it is a reality of life and I think in other cultures where it is taught more at a young age where people do do you know death meditations more where they actually are um, you know get to see the bodies and there's a bit more of a process around 
funerals and it's not just an event that everyone shows up to for a few hours and then leaves and I, I think we kind of do death uh, in not the best way in our society and it, it does create quite a lot of the social issues that we see uh, in people and in our communities so there's a lot to learn I think from other cultures in, in how we can face uh, death with more grace. And it's like you like you've said in in your book that um, in Western society, it, the fear of death kind of feeds into this um, desire for us to act like life is forever, um, and then we just don't front up to the fact that we will eventually die. So it's almost like we live in this sort of state of denial, really. Well, if you think about it, death is um, you know it's the number one fear of all fears, and psychologically we um, just bury it basically. We're just in denial of our death. And I think when it does hit us, it does, that's why I think it does hit us so hard because mm. we're all about preserving a sense of our identity and it completely shatters that. You're like, who am I mm. in the face of death? Everything is to be reconsidered in your life, who you are, who you, mm. who, who you wanna be with, where you wanna live, what you wanna do. What brings you meaning? I think this is a process that actually, in, to be honest, and, and not, to, I don't think it should be sugarcoated. This process takes years mm. and years, and it's ongoing, and it's expanding. It's it's always there. I don't. I think it changes you in a in a fundamental way when you actually honor it in the right way. Yes, it's so true. We put a Q&A up on our stories asking our community on Instagram what grief is to them. Like, we just want to know, like, what is grief to you? And someone came back and said it's like a fundamental change of yourself. Like, it, it really does change you fundamentally. And I think, you know, Sal and I were sort of thrown into this process because our mums died suddenly like there was no lead up to you know preparing for this huge change so it's just it's been this like two and a bit years of just this like intense process of trying to adjust to this <laughs> fundamental change and it's it's yeah it's life-changing it just doesn't go back to what it was before and I think that's what we need to all acknowledge is it's like a change that is uh, if you imagine a, a house that, that a, there's an earthquake and everything is kind of ruined in a way it's not that you kind of try to rebuild that same house and go back to what it was before maybe this is reminiscent of what we're going through now with the pandemic is we still have a lot of people holding on to how things were and there really is just that this ongoing process of rebuilding something new and hopefully more stable and more in line and attuned. And that's what I hope for any, anyone that's going through a process of grieving. Yeah. And as you mentioned, like these past 18 months have been incredibly difficult for all of us. And with the lockdowns and the border restrictions and the ever present feeling of uncertainty in the world, many of our listeners have not even been able to navigate their grief that comes with the death of someone close but also the grief of missing out on time with friends and family overseas. So can you tell us what that type of grief is called and why it's so important for us to acknowledge it? 
I think what's been difficult for, for us is that there's this anticipatory grief because you don't know when things are going to change for certain, but you know that you've missed out on friends' weddings, you haven't been able to see your family for a long time, and you're anticipating that there's more grief to come because there are so many changes that are happening and we're not always uh, sure of what they're going to be. And I think it is so significant, this grief that we're experiencing and for people to really understand that grief is such a huge collection of emotions from anxiety to depression, to guilt, to anger and shame. And it brings everything up in this way that's non-linear, non-prescriptive, very unique to each individual. And we need to give people that context. We need to say, these are all the things that you could possibly feel and you could feel them over and over and over again. And that's completely normal. And it may cause you to want to just not get out of bed, eat a lot, drink a lot, you know, whatever that is, exercise a lot or not at all. And how you cope is completely okay. And these feelings are to, to be honoured again. How we accompany ourselves through grief, through our emotions, is testament to our relationship with ourselves. If we can say, hey there, I feel you, and I know this is really difficult for you, and I totally understand why, we have taken a step closer to ourselves and we have practiced self-compassion and self-love, really. And what do you need in this moment? I don't know, maybe, <sighs> I just need to lie down, okay listen to that you know and it's that process that's it's just asking us do you want to respond to yourself or do you want to turn away and say my feelings are not valid this is not okay everyone else in the world is doing better so I'm not allowed to feel this way I've still got a job blah blah, blah. as we do we minimize our pain mm. and I think to really become connected with ourselves we must honor our emotions no matter how silly or uh yeah insignificant they may seem to us that's so important and it's definitely a process of learning how to recognize um the feelings and you know and and, and honor them I think a lot of people think that grief is just for the death of a loved one and they don't realize that grief comes in many different forms you know it might be the loss of a job a change in your you know relationship status it might be um a decline in health you know there's lots of different ways that we can feel grief but I think a lot of people might just think that they're not what they're feeling isn't valid so they just try and just you know crack on and and brush it aside I'm very good at cracking on yeah so too. is Sal <laughs> Sal is the cracker honorer of the <laughs> whereas I'm the I really like you know if I'm feeling it everyone knows like I'm grieving like blah 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 but Sal is like just carries on yeah I think yeah. I'm quite like you Mary I just yeah I have a tendency <laughs> to overwork and push myself and just yeah like I almost cope by not coping in a way mm, <laughs> doesn't make sense but yeah you know just like I'll just keep busy and then it'll hit me and then I'll yeah I'll know that I've overdone it, but yeah, crack, cracking on is definitely a coping mechanism. <laughs> and it all catches up to us. I got to say, you know, there's no, you know, there's no denying 
that it will find and a way leads, to it leads to know. burnout doesn't yeah. it grief 100%. burnout it's a thing absolutely absolutely and so Mary talking about distraction so for you and me it's cracking on and being busy um but for some of our other like our listeners they've reached out to us to say that they are overeating or undereating. and I know a lot of people tend to lean towards things like alcohol as a numbing distraction and a coping mechanism and it can be really common when you're experiencing grief to lean into those things to distract you so if we are tending to overeat for example instead of leaning into our feelings how can we reset this pattern and move towards more healthier coping mechanisms I think to be realistic you know these patterns aren't going to change overnight um, if you're any type of bullet train at all it's going to take some time and uh, that's why you know it takes a lot of self-compassion because you're not going to get it right and there's no really getting it right it's very human to go around and around and around when it comes to change and anything like another stressor can really kind of derail you. So I I think, you know, to, to set realistic expectations of change is really important because there is something about seeing yourself back in a pattern that you don't want to be in and like wanting to absolutely kick yourself in the butt and, and just say, why am I still here? And, you know, you kind of really lament over it, but there is something really beautiful about seeing yourself do, do that and just taking a little bit of a step back and saying, I have been trying very hard to shift this. And this is part of the process. So anything that people find themselves doing, whether it's overeating, uh, lots of Netflix, lots of chocolate, whatever it is, even seemingly healthy, activities like lots of exercise and lots of work lots of giving you know anything I think in excess can be a little bit detrimental because we tend to be using it as a crutch and I would first tell people just not to judge because it's so important that we just observe it when does it come up when do we do it how often do we do it being very curious about our tendencies is um, a much gentler way than trying to get the inner critic out to whip whip ourselves into change and so we start to recognize these little parts of us that like to come in and boss us around or make us feel crap about not doing these things and over time we find a path towards wisdom which is I'm going to hear that voice that tells me to stop it and stop doing that and get your shit together and then we come into a place where we can you know be more wise and to say ah actually it's so important to recognize that I've been using this technique for coping for a really long time and started when my mother died or my father died or when I broke up with Sam in, you know, 1984. And then we understand that a lot of these coping mechanisms were protection mechanisms designed to keep us safe at some point in our lives. And they worked really well. And so you start cracking yourself over the head with trying to change it, just realizing that worked. I can understand why I'm doing it. It made complete sense. Let's spend a little bit of time with that little young or inner child or that person who was hurting so bad that they had to use this as something to protect themselves. And you know what? That was okay. And it is okay now. 
and I can shift it, but that was really important for me to see first. And that's probably quite key in actually long-term change is not this superficial, like I'm going to snap a rubber band on my wrist every time I'm eating Doritos kind of stuff. It's very <laughs> superficial. But when you go into the, the reason why you do what you do and you grieve what needs to be grieved, then you start to shift that relationship with yourself that, uh, you know, likes to, you know, criticize why you do what you do. And so it is, it is, you know, definitely a process of understanding the emotions that you don't want to feel by overeating or overexercising or overworking. You stop yourself and you just, what is that feeling? Emptiness, loneliness, fear, sadness, disappointment. Okay. Well, I'm going to need a bit of support in actually feeling these feelings. Who can I talk to about them? Who can I actually sit with that I can actually slowly start to come towards these feelings without having to reach for the remote? And that's a process. It takes a bit of time, but you got to get underneath it to really understand it. Yeah, and try and identify like what is that void that I'm trying to fill with Doritos? Because <laughs> we all do it. <laughs> We've all got our, you know, our coping mechanisms Uh, but you have also said before that we can't be feeling all the time and that we have other coping mechanisms to get by how can we balance feeling and healing our grief but also living our life at the same time I like to really take a two-factor model of grief which means that if we grieve if we're in our feelings too much we can really collapse into them and we can become highly identified with pain and suffering. I actually know that place really well too, because I'm like, am I just comfortable in this space where I'm doing some deep grief work and I've just gone from distracting myself from it to a place where I'm trying to be really good at it and actually just collapsing into it. That's not healthy. You know, at the same time, lots and lots of avoidance is not ideal either because you never feel anything you know you're constantly distracting yourself so what is the right balance only you know this is so interesting because I feel like I definitely sometimes like need to like switch off from it all from all the grief and all the grief work and everything like I have a tendency to stay in it and wallow in it and it's a place I say but I find it hard to distract myself out of it and Sal's like sometimes she's like what are you watching on Netflix what are you watching I'm always watching like some thriller or death or it's always heavy shit and she's like Im put on bridesmaids or something just to kind of distract yourself from it just get yourself out of it but I definitely get stuck in that place like it's a thing isn't it I hear you my partner was like you cannot buy any more books on death like no more <laughs> he's like you are not going to be that person at the pool reading about death anymore (laughs) how do we stop because this is this is definitely me how do we stop this (laughs) well we got to know which side that we that we lean on to right so we either lean on the distraction side or we lean on the you know collapsing into grief side and that's it's all about self-awareness it's the same with what how we're talking about coping we don't judge it but we start to notice it and it's good when you have people around you you know like Sal, yeah. <laughs> call you out on this shit 
and yeah. we need we need people like my therapist calls me out on it he's like I think you need to go outside and play and you need yeah. to go and pick some flowers and go and sit on the swings and you're very being very serious about this I'm just like I just want to heal and he's just like just go outside and play <laughs> yeah so, it becomes like an obsession doesn't it it becomes it becomes something we identify with it becomes mm. something that we become comfortable with so it's really knowing which side you sit on and consciously making a decision to sit on the other side and exploring what does that mean why am I afraid to play or experience joy because sometimes we feel bad about feeling we can feel bad about feeling bad but we can also feel bad about feeling good or f- afraid of feeling good or afraid for me it was like I'm afraid if I feel good that something bad is going to happen again yes. yes and it's that vulnerability again isn't it and and we can feel like oh I'm feeling like happy or I'm feeling joy, but shouldn't I be on the floor because I'm, I'm supposed to be knee deep in grief at the same time. And it's like, we, we don't allow ourselves to feel both. No. And that goes deeper somewhere else. Why is it that we don't allow ourselves to feel real joy? That's something to explore. You know, what are we afraid of? What are we protecting? Like, what does it mean to us? And there's something quite interesting about that place. I think like Sal said, we can be afraid of it getting taken away again. Absolutely. And that's a real fear. And it's a real fear that we have to face and we have to make a decision. Is this, if this belief doesn't change, what's my life going to be like tomorrow? What's my life going to be like in a year's time? What's going to be like in five years time? How's it going to influence how I think, feel and behave? And then it starts to hit you in the face a little bit that these beliefs that we hold really can impact our lives in huge ways. And and we need to face that. Yes. And we're depriving ourselves of those feelings of joy and happiness because we're afraid that they're going to get taken away. But then what is that quality of life that you're living Anyway, you know, you're just living exactly. in fear of something that could get taken away rather than living your life. <laughs> like it's, and how are we doing that? <laughs> and, and how would our loved, loved ones wanted us to, to live our lives moving forward? Mm. You know, obviously they want to be remembered and acknowledged and honoured, but they want us to get on with our lives and experience joy and pleasure and to reorientate ourselves towards you know, a higher vision for ourselves. And I think we just get lost a little bit that sometimes we're doing the work and then sometimes we need to pop out and just say, where, where's my inner compass maybe taking me now, you know, and, and think about things in the future that we could look forward to and, and allow us to believe that it's, that we are worthy and deserving of, of feeling that. Such an important lesson. Gosh, I feel like this has been an amazing like therapy session for us. <laughs> it's been so amazing. I feel like I've taken so much from this. Thank yeah. you, Mary. Like my pleasure. Absolute profound insights. And I'm sorry, by the way, if you can hear my dog's like going for gold underneath my desk. He's snoring so loudly. I can hear it. <laughs> That's why I've been muting myself because he's like really he's cracking on with his snoring um but mary thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today i think you have given so many nuggets of um such valuable insights and life lessons that i think a lot of our listeners will really take a lot from so thank you so much 
pleasure such a treat and yes i'm i'm gonna have some time off from my my grief (laughs) i'm gonna do it dip back out into the real world sometimes it's so healthy to do and it's so important but yeah thank you so much for your time mary it was so lovely to chat with you absolutely in the words of our my therapist let's go outside and have a play so many profound moments in that conversation what a wise lady she is I I just love that conversation so interesting and I know what I'm doing this afternoon and this weekend I'm going to go out I'm going to be silly I'm going to have some fun and have a break from my grief so I don't identify with it anymore (laughs) it's hard to do it's hard to find that balance but it is so important and guys we hope that you enjoyed this episode don't forget we have a Facebook grief community group that you can come and join if you're needing a little bit of extra support it's called good morning grief community and we will see you next time take care guys see you next time 